What's up, guys? Welcome back to the Negligent Discharge Podcast, episode 18. Joining us today, we have Seth from Alabama. Seth, how are you doing today? I'm doing good, Jonah. It's great to be here, guys. Yeah, it's great talking to you. I mean, it's it's been probably like, shoot, I don't know. Yeah, like six, seven years, eight years. Yeah, it's been a hot minute. It's it's been a hot minute, but it's uh, I'm super glad to reconnect. And, um, you know, I was wondering if you could tell us like what you've been up to. What have you what, like what you've been up to these past few years, and and what's your background, and you know what's your what's your take on on gun stuff. <laughs> there's well, a lot to unpack. Yeah, there's a lot to unpack. That's for damn sure. I got to throw it out there. Like, just my opinions aren't that of the Air Force. Just throwing it out on the table. Uh, so I went to school at Ember Riddle in Arizona, uh, studied astronautics, which is a form of engineering, got a pilot slot in the Air Force. And then for the past uh, almost two years now, I've been training, learning how to fly aircraft. Almost done, thankfully. So racking up, uh, probably pushing in 175, 200 hours at this point. Half of that's in the T-6 Texan, which is a like, high-performance aerial aircraft. And then now I'm currently learning how to fly the Huey and I'm going rotary. So Maybe search and rescue is my future. Ospreys, it just all depends. Well, yeah. I, th- I thought it wasn't actually a Huey, though. You you gave me shit for calling it a Huey. Uh, it's just easy for people to understand. It's technically not a Huey. It's a Huey two. So they took the original frames from actual like Vietnam aircraft, stripped everything out of them until it was just like the base, like literally like a car frame, and then everything is new. So new engines, new blades, swapped a bunch of stuff around, but. Uh, yeah, it's effectively, it's a brand new aircraft, just like used. It's kind of a weird position, but it was cheaper and they're phenomenal airframes. So it makes sense why they're using them for what they do. Wow. You'd, um, how did you like, how did, how did you decide that you wanted to like kind of get into the Air Force and get into aviation and all of that? Oh man, I'm one of those dudes super lucky. It was always like a calling, you know, like yeah. uh, my grandfather I was a Sky Raider pilot in Vietnam. Family was kind of in, like, dabbled our toes in the military, but nobody around me was really into it. So as a kid, I remember I went and toured the USS Midway in San Diego. Phenomenal museum. If you ever get to go to it, I was, like, eight years old. And my mom's running around like, oh, man, I remember being on the ship with my dad and stuff. And we got to do uh, simulators. So I got fortunate enough to get plopped down. I think it was an F-8 Crusader. And... I was flying against two dudes who are actual Vietnam veterans and like an F4 and like dog fighting in this cool like simulator. I'm a little eight year old. Like, Whoa, this is sweet. <laughs> and ever since that moment, like I was just like, I was hooked. So I've always had that mechanical knack, like love engineering, grew up racing cars. And it was just natural, like wanted to put myself here. So I worked my butt off and ended up here. That's awesome. That's awesome. And I know that it's like, I mean, I, I I, I, I know and I don't know. I mean, like, how rigorous is it really? Like, A, like, getting in initially, training to get in, and then, like, I mean, even, like, what you're doing now, like, just being in it. I mean, it's it's pretty hardcore stuff just day to day, right? Yeah, it's pretty hardcore. Um, let's see. I would say getting in is easier than people think. The hardest thing is mental. So you have to be fit. You have to be healthy. That's just big caveat, you know. Um, but beyond that... It's a lot of mental preparation. They like when you start your initial training to become an officer, because you have to be an officer to fly. So that initially has its own like caveats. You have to have a degree, a bachelor's at minimum, right? So 
Um, the physical stuff's pretty easy. It's just self-discipline. But when it's five in the morning and you have a test to take and they're making you go run like five miles, I take some mental fortitude, right? Because yeah. you're like, oh my God, all you can think about is I have to do this other thing because if I don't graduate, I don't get to do it in the first place, right? And that was just to get in the door. Uh, once you're in the door, uh, they take care of you, like finances, all that stuff. It's pretty pretty hands-off, especially as officers. They're just as like, hey, you're a big boy. You know, you're an officer. But the rigors of the actual training is uh, pretty rough. I'm sure Tudor can attest to it, some of the stories that I've told him. But when I was in the oh, yeah. T6, uh, when I first showed up, it was 12 hours, five days a week. I was not allowed to have my phone. I was not allowed to go out and eat. I had to bring anything I wanted with me into the flight room. It was 12 hours a day of like basically just flying. Wow. And uh, the amount of knowledge and stuff that they expect you to know is insane. So at this point, I probably memorized like three or four flight manuals. Um, wow. And it's just... All, and he, and he constantly reminds you that he re- knows them, you know, like there's, I cannot tell you how many times you randomly will just start like talking about, okay, there's this thing going on. The next, the next thing in the checklist is this and then that. And I'm like, okay, bro, calm down. You get it. You're a pilot. Relax. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's fun. Tudor, if you only knew the half of it, I like, I tone it down so much because all I do. Um, like, no, I, yeah. I bet. Not, I'm giving yeah. you shit, but no, I think it's epic. I think it's really cool. Yeah, it's like like I said, it's a grind though. So uh, before I transitioned to this last phase of academics, we were doing a, a phase called remotes in helicopter training. So basically what it involves is you're told to go to a field out in the middle of nowhere. And the way they do it here for practice for the real world is like, you know, nothing about it. So you have to plan how you're going to fly there visually with no like GPS, no aids. And you just kind of have to figure it out. They give you a really crappy map. <laughs> it's called a jog. And it's like the worst resolution thing you've ever seen. It's painful. <laughs> it's like actually painful. And we Oof. had to do everything by hand, all the math, like calculate our ground speed just to figure out how fast it is or how long it's going to take us to get there, our fuel burn, et cetera. And it would take me three or four hours just to prep. And that's wow. not including the flying. Yeah. So you hit the four hour mark and you're like, oh crap, I need to go to bed because I have to be up by 4 a.m. So I can go like brief all of this stuff, mm-hmm. get in the aircraft, you fly for uh, three and a half hours just after all the stuff, get done, you debrief, and then you just do it again. So it was pretty regularly like 14 hour days. Wow. Man. Well, um, Tudor, I don't know if you had anything you wanted to ask, but um, I definitely <laughs> like... <laughs> Go ahead. No, I was going to say, dude, I've already picked his brain a lot. I mean, we play Battlefield all the time, as I've told you. So, and I cannot sure. tell you how many times he's like, oh, this doesn't, this doesn't fly how it does in reality. This doesn't, uh, <laughs> or he's like, oh, this is kind <laughs> of similar, but. <laughs> okay. Uh, actually, yeah. so, so that's okay. So here's a good question. So uh, the new Top Gun, well, what's going oh, on there? I mean, oh, like, God. I mean, I'm, I'm sure there's so much stuff we can talk about. Oh, with that, bro. But... We, we saw that movie together, too. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> Oh, uh, that 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 is a whole can of worms. Dude, there when we came is out of the a, theater. He's like, "Oh, pretty good, but <laughs> but yeah, there it's there's a whole can of worms in that. I would say as a movie, like just like entertainment, like nine out of ten, ten out of ten, like pretty flawless. As a pilot, yeah. it hurt inside a couple of times. Oh, really? There's definitely there's definitely some things in there. I'm like, that's that's not <laughs> like that's not how that works. Yeah. Um, but they also got a lot of stuff right. 
uh, it's been several months since I've seen it. So I probably wouldn't be able to pick anything like off the spot that was particularly like egregious, but there's a really good fighter fighter, a fighter pilot podcast out there and they kind of go in and analyze it and they hit all the nails on the head pretty much. Mm-hmm. So I'm a helicopter wow. pilot. I don't have all the details behind yeah. how like an F-18 works. So they have a bit more insight than I do, but yeah, there's some stuff in the movie. Like uh, I think a pretty famous example is like when Maverick, they have the two aircraft and what's called fingertip formation in the training and he breaks in between them. That's so many training rule violations. Like uh, Maverick <laughs> would be probably court-martialed if that was actually discovered. So that kind of stuff is like, no, we have to be safe. And um, when I was flying the T6, we had this rule called the knock it off, where if somebody got within your little personal bubble like that, somebody calls that over the radio, everybody stops what they're doing. And it's like, okay, what just happened? And if one of those gets like called during the flight, which did happen to me a couple of times, oh, really? we would go back. Yeah, we'd go back to the flight room, and the first thing that the uh, mission commander, the highest-ranking individual in the flight, would say is, like, okay, any alibis, which means, like, what's your excuse for calling that? Like, why did that happen? Because yeah. it's it's a big deal. Like, because you don't want to hit another bird because it's very dangerous and you'll probably die. So Right, yeah. Dang. I mean, I, I, like, I, this just sounds like, you know, you describe all this training and all this like all these rules and, and all this knowledge you have to do uh, or have to know, excuse me. Uh, and, um, you know, you, you brought up this concept of, of mental fortitude earlier. And I thought like maybe, maybe we could dive into that a little bit more because you clearly are someone that like, you know, just, just by nature of like what you do, like you, you definitely have, I would say probably a higher degree of mental fortitude than, than the average Joe, which is just evidenced by like what you're doing and like what you're required to do. Um, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what to ask or where to go with that. But just maybe like, do you think that you've always had an inherent sense of that? Do you think a lot of it was learned? Uh, That's a tough question. Uh, Some of it is down to like good fortune. You know, Uh, I had a good background, good education, was able to access that kind of stuff. And that does go a long way. There's no there's no way to get around that. But there are a lot of things that you can teach yourself. Right. Like um, when it comes to like the the discipline to like get out of bed and go exercise, just something really simple. Everything starts small. And one of the metaphors that I've heard is eating an elephant, right? If you look Mm. at this massive animal in front of you, it's like, there's no way I'm ever going to be able to get through the whole thing, but you just have to literally take it a bite at a time. Um, my favorite metaphor that we use in pilot training is called, (laughs) it's the, you're in a canoe in a swamp and you have a paddle and there's just endless alligators rushing at you. So it's like, (laughs) you know, you know, stuff is coming. Like, I'm like, oh man, I have, well, we have these things called check rides, which is basically like a flying exam, right? Very difficult uh, and very, very strenuous because they test everything. Like everything that you could imagine learning how to do in an aircraft. And uh, you see those out on the horizon and you're like, nope, that's not important. Like I have to plan, like I have to take like a quiz on general knowledge tomorrow, or I have to do a stand-up emergency procedure where you stand up in front of like a couple dozen people and they basically grill you on trying to, they try to kill you effectively. Really? And you just think like, yep, I have to, like you have to talk your way through how you're going to save the aircraft in this emergency scenario. And Basically, you just take your paddle and just 
the nearest alligator all the time. So that's, yeah, that's yeah. the first step is like, you can't get lost in the sauce with the stuff that's way out in front of you. You have to be able to understand that that stuff's important, but it's like, how do you have your little skipping stones to get there? Um, yeah. It's almost like the compartmentalization, other... right? Like if you, if you're too huge, yeah, it, it's like, you got to break it down to smaller things. Yep. It's huge. Uh, and then the other thing is you really can't get like, let little stuff get to you when you're flying with instructors, they intentionally like poke at you, right? They'll say stuff to you to try to like rile your feathers and make you upset. And you have to compartmentalize. Uh, the best metaphor I ever heard from this, this little five, one, like really feisty pilot. Like she was, <laughs> she's awesome. Uh, but uh, am I allowed to curse on this podcast? Oh, yeah. Kind of... Full sir, man. Tudor, Tudor's oh, already yeah. let it slip, so. <laughs> all right. Yeah, dude, we have so, all the F-bombs. She told me a story um, where she had an instructor. She would just get rattled, right? She'd make a mistake, mm. would not be able to land the aircraft correctly, and the instructor's like, what the hell are you doing, right? You moron. <laughs> and it just gets worse. We called it snowballing when you just get in your head and you just start flying like crap, you know? It's like a... The sensation when you're driving in traffic and somebody cuts you off and you're like, yeah, like, oh, yeah. you just, you yeah. start, you start driving worse, right? You can't like, do that. You're already having time. a bad day. They cut you off and then like, just keep spiraling yeah. down. You're like, ah, everything's like against me. You can't do that. Cause you will like, you will die if you do yeah. that. So that they teach you how to beat it. And, uh, this instructor sat her down after this really crappy day. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I want you to imagine that behind the aircraft is a FedEx truck. And you take all of your problems and all your mistakes and you wrap them up in a box and you fucking throw them behind you. I don't care if it's Santa's sleigh on Christmas Eve with the amount of boxes that you have. You do not open those boxes in your cockpit until the flight is done. And so it's the same thing. You just have to like package it. The This is embarrassing. I would sing Shake It Off and like roll my shoulders if I screw something (laughs) up. Yeah, that's, but it was just like awesome. it was like a little my little thing, you know. Like I had to make it my own. So my IPs like would see me just be like, <laughs> be like, <laughs> like, are you good? I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm good. That's awesome. <laughs> just rolling your shoulders. That's awesome. Yep. That, so, that reminds me. That reminds me of an EMT school. I don't know for you, Jonah, but at least for me, like my instructors are like, you know, when you when you come on the job, you know, if you're having a really shitty day, you leave it at the door. Like when when you're there, you got to be able to take care of patients. You got to be able to think. It doesn't matter what's going on in your life. Like you're there to do a job. You're there to save lives. And it's almost kind of the same thing that you're saying too. It's like, if you're, if you're not focused, you can die and other people can die too. Yep, absolutely. And I'm in training. So ultimately these sorties don't matter in like the big perspective. Right. But in the future, when I have wings on my chest, I'm a rated aviator. The missions do matter, especially if I'm doing search and rescue. It's like, you yeah. have to leave it at the door because there's dudes downrange who could die if you don't make it there so it's very serious that you take it seriously but yeah with the mental fortitude you have to be able to you have to be able to package it for sure and then put that stuff behind you but don't forget it because those lessons are super important so like basic one is like oh i failed a test we have to do like root cause analysis like why did i fail a test like was it because the the professor wrote stupid questions no that's never the answer it's always like you have to look at yourself really hard and be like, well, I didn't study enough. I chose to go hang out with my friends on this Thursday and I should have spent that time looking over this material, like that kind of stuff. And you really got to break it down and being able to do that to yourself is also one of the big things um, because we get picked apart 
every little detail, everything that you could do better is called out. They very rarely mm-hmm. compliment you. So it's all in the name of making literally the best pilots in the world. And that's what the program strives to be. And I'd argue that's what it achieves because we have dozens upon dozens of countries sending their students to here to the United States to learn how to fly. So we're producing the best quality pilots in the world for a reason. And uh, that's a reason it's really hard. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's just such solid life advice, you know, kind of just like, you know, like detachment and, and, and not getting, you know, like you said earlier, like not getting lost in the sauce. Um, it really makes me think a lot about what's going on just like in the rest of the world with like microaggressions and like, you know, just, just like all like, like, you know, you can, I think like, you know, where I'm going with this, like, just, oh, yeah. just we're like, you know, and especially like on like the Twitter verse where, you know, someone, someone, someone uh, says something that's like unforgivable somewhere. And then, the, you know, they get mobbed and, and everyone's feelings just get like hurt at like the, you know, the smallest thing. Um, cancel culture, man. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like mm. cancel culture or just, you know, like there's a lot of stuff you can or cannot say. And I'm not necessarily trying to get like political here, but um, it does make me wonder about like, you know, hearing you in just this like extremely difficult and, and just overwhelming situation. Like I, like, I think like I hear you t- talk about this and it literally elevates my blood pressure a little bit. Cause I'm just like, <laughs> Oh my gosh. Like I'm like, I'm like 14 hour days. Like, you know, you're, you're literally like, you know, you, you're flying a thing that could become like your tomb. And um, it just makes me think of like, you know, meanwhile, you have people that are just kind of, people honestly like frankly like a little bit more like myself who who are you know just kind of living in a comfortable lifestyle and sure they have to work but you know they're definitely not facing that and everything that's like the smallest things could get to them and tear them down i mean i i I don't know like i don't know if you if there if there is a commentary on that or or what but it definitely seems like it's become a lot worse lately like last 10 years yeah um i guess my perspective on it is it's like an echo chamber because you're able to hear and see other people who think like-minded to you. Right. So um, I've heard the metaphor a lot where you're like the the big fish, small pond. And I'm surrounded by people 24 seven who are all relatively like me. And, you know, when you quote venture out in the real world and I see all this stuff, I'm like, what the hell? (laughs) Cause I'm just used to people who are like, okay, like I'm going to wake up at 5.00 AM and not going to stop until it's 7.00 PM. Like that's just how it goes. So, um, not everybody's like that. And I'd say like when it comes to the microaggressions and stuff or uh, the Twitter versus you called it, like I I'm totally fine with people not necessarily being, uh, that like rough on themselves. Cause sometimes it, frankly, it sucks. Like it's very difficult sometimes. And I've had several mornings where I wake up and I'm like, what am I doing to myself? Like, am I sure about this? Uh, so there's no shame and being comfortable at all. And there's no shame in pursuing what makes you happy. But on the extreme side of that, there is definitely shame in like being so comfortable that you don't let you know, or I'm not letting anybody make you uncomfortable. Right. It's all mm-hmm. about growth. And yeah. I think that's an important like part of the human spirit and condition. So it's okay to just kind of like not uh, do as do as much per se, as long as you find something in yourself and you're still like, productive in your world right to the people around you who you care about but that's just my personal take on it um we have these kind of conversations a lot 
and it is easy to like I was talking about the instructors like trying to poke at you it's very easy to cross a line and so in the modern world like there's a difference between calling somebody out because they suck at flying and calling somebody out because like you don't like a certain aspect about their like personality right it's like if somebody yeah. was like tutor like your little fro out of your hat is stupid. <laughs> wow. Thanks bro. <laughs> that, that kind of stuff like wouldn't fly because it doesn't yeah. like, well, how does that make you better? Right. So yeah. I think critique needs to have validity behind it and it's definitely necessary, but yeah. I mean, well, it, it's also constructive criticism, right? Like if it's not constructive criticism, at least in your guys's field, like what's the point, right? Like when the whole point is to make you guys better. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, yeah. I, I think I think what's interesting is you I think I don't know if it was before we started recording, but you said you had a lot of commentary on empowerment and all of that. And I'm kind of curious what you think about like because I think there's two sides to this kind of what Jonah was talking about. There's the side of it where everyone's very like sensitive, you know, like the slightest mm -hmm. thing kind of ticks them off. But then you also have this other aspect of like social media and just the common culture where it's like oh everything's about empowerment everything's about mindset which you know we're guilty of that too we definitely promote empowerment and, and a positive and strong fortitude mindset mm -hmm. um, but I'm definitely curious to hear your perspective on those things especially since you do have to you know constantly have a, 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 fort, a, a fortitude in your mindset but um, I'm just curious to hear your perspective yeah so really I'd say that it, everything comes from within and mm -hmm. there's a certain like it feels good when somebody compliments you right I'm yeah. sure between the three guys like we probably all have that story where that one random girl like five years ago is like wow I think you're really handsome and that just sticks with you right <laughs> yeah and like as a dude you're just like you're like it's like in your little like pocketbook and you just think about it and like wow that makes me really happy like, it's, it's it's like it's like your little gold star and you wear it like right up on your chest man and dude it, yeah. yeah exactly <laughs> and the thing is like sometimes in like dark days or like self-success and driving like to empower yourself you have to be able to tell that to yourself and believe it even if it's a lie there's there is some validity behind like the fake it till you make it right? oh definitely like there were several moments where, you know, I step into a room with like incredibly insanely successful people. Right. Mm -hmm. Like it's just kind of the nature of the military. You, you end up in places and you're like, wow, like <laughs> this dude's like the vice CEO of Boeing. Like this dude has a hundred thousand hours in an airplane. Like, how did you do that? That's, I don't even live that long. Right. <laughs> and you just have to tell yourself, like, I'm in this room because I belong here. Right. Like I didn't just get lost. Mm. So it's stuff like that where you have to be able to reassure yourself and like confirm with yourself that you're going on like the right path. So it's very difficult to get bogged down with fear. Right. And that's one thing that I worked really hard on shedding was like being scared of bad outcomes. When I first started flying, I was so antsy, like, I was always worried, like, oh, my God, like, am I going to mess up this maneuver? What if my landing isn't perfect? The IP is just going to roast me, right? This is terrible. Mm -hmm. And there comes a certain point where you have to shed that. And you have to tell yourself, like, you know what? That was a good landing. And you know how I know it was good? They didn't say anything. They only speak in negatives, right? And that's how most of the world is. Like, people True. typically only call out the bad. And very rarely do you get the good. So you have to be able to tell yourself, like, I am doing enough. Because when it's quiet around you and you're not hearing any critique, 
like that normally means you're doing a good job. Yeah, that's, that's, that's very powerful, actually, to think about that. It's a shift in your mindset instead of like looking for the positive, just, you know, mm -hmm. just keep trudging along almost. Yeah. And it's like at the on the same like flip of the coin, it's important to spread that positivity. Right. Uh, because for every instructor pilot, so to speak, there's a student. And not all students are created equal because not all humans are equal in yeah. the sense of ability. We have like a range. People are talented. It's, I can't play the piano, but one of my friends in flight school can, right? So it's just one of those things like when somebody is good at something or you see somebody who's a peer do something correctly, you got to pat them on the back because other people won't. Like even if it's as simple as like, hey, man, thanks for bagging my groceries today. Like, sure, they're getting paid, but it helps them, right? So you have to... You have to spread that positivity because it goes a long way with people. But you also have to be able to know that like what you're saying is also true for yourself. That's uh, man, that's that's just really solid advice. Um, it's definitely it, it's kind of funny because it's it's not necessarily like the maybe the more like macho macho. Uh, you know like like let's get it like what's uh, you know get after it advice. It, it's just like very solid like like life advice. And, and, and that's just what's so cool is that, you know, like throughout this conversation so far, like, you know, everything you've been saying has been, has, has seemed to have come from a real point of um, humility, I would say. Um, would you, would you agree with that? Do you think that, like, do you think that you've throughout your experience, like definitely Oof. like been humbled or, you know, Oh, yeah. oh I've, been <laughs> I've been humbled so many times. Um, like, I'm, there's so many jokes about pilots thinking they're hot shit and there's a like there's a there's a mantra that goes around it's humble credible approachable those are the three things that you have to be to be a good pilot because you have to understand that you're not perfect you make mm -hmm. mistakes right um credible you have to know what's going on you have to be in the books you have to understand and like master your career basically because somebody might come to you and be like hey i don't understand how this works exactly can you explain it and if they're like under you so to speak or in like more of a mentee position if you say i don't know that looks really bad on you and then approachable you can't be a douche <laughs> like it's you can't be that macho personality all the time because nobody wants to be around it. And I've been around people who are like that and they like, you don't want to fly with them. You don't want to do anything with them because yeah. all they, they just, uh, they just force their personality on you and it's not enjoyable. So yeah. Humble, credible, approachable. I love it. Maybe, maybe that'll be the, maybe that'll be the title of the podcast. Uh, I, you know, that's three succinct words. I like that. Um, <laughs> The military loves just throwing out little sayings and stuff like that. So, yeah. Wow, that's awesome. Um, well, okay. So, uh, at the beginning of the podcast, we said we we would kind of talk about um, gun stuff. So, I feel like you know maybe this is a this is a good time to maybe just transition a little bit. Um, Tudor, I know Tudor had our question of the day, right? Oh yeah. I mean, we don't we don't actually have a question of the day, but I guess it'll be a thing from now on. Um, what do you think about carrying one in the chamber? Because the reason I brought this up, and because I was actually thinking about this, I remember before I started concealed carrying, at some point, like when I was getting into concealed carrying, you know, Seth, you were talking to me, talking to me about like we would hang out, and you were concealing a nineteen eleven, and you're like, you never even noticed, and I was like, you were concealing a nineteen eleven. Wait, hold up, 
you know? And so I, I'm just kind of curious to hear your perspective on concealed carry, one in the chamber, stuff like that. Um, just cause I feel like you've done it a lot longer than I have, you know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, just some background. I have been, I grew up around guns. I worked in a gun factory in the interim between college and the air force. So I built a, like handguns for Ruger. So hopefully that adds some credibility to like my opinions here. I'm not just talking out my ass, but uh, yes. credibility uh, key. Yeah. <laughs> um, kind of segueing from the idea of mentality when it comes mm -hmm. to concealed carrying, it's all about the mentality that you're trying to uh, conceal carry with. So I would say there's no right answer. It just depends mm -hmm. on what environment that you think you need to conceal carry in. So if for some reason you have to make a, a commute on foot through the worst neighborhood in town, I would absolutely one in the chamber safety off concealed carry, right? Mm -hmm. Because it's a place where you're expecting trouble. But unlike the day to day, like, Hey, I wanted to like go like to the boardwalk or something with my family. Um, I might not load one in the chamber. I might just have the gun just in case, because as you see a situation develop it, you would might have the time to react and actually load the firearm. So it's just something that you have to be willing to accept um, the risk involved with literally a negligent discharge. Yeah, <laughs> no joke. Uh, uh, perfect. Well, it's just like, uh, you know, cause I, cause I, so I've started a, I've started carrying way more cause I moved back down to Phoenix and uh, basically like, you know, with just like, like the, <laughs> like the state of like law and order has definitely decreased in the past couple of years. Uh, and so, um, I've definitely started carrying a lot more, definitely started carrying, um, with around in the chamber a lot more, but something I always think about, like, like I never, I like to this day, I feel like I never got clear guidance on this. You know, it's like, you know, we always say like, you know, don't point, don't point a weapon at anything that you're not absolutely willing to destroy. And like everybody glosses over that you're essentially like, you know, your appendix carrying, you're essentially pointing it right at your junk. And yep, exactly. I like, and I like I've even like gone on YouTube and and like like look this up. It's like 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 I understand like in principle behind it, but I'm just like like is anybody else just like freaking out over this? Like am I like 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 am I do, do I just have like anxiety issues? Like I like I don't know. It just it I don't even know where I'm going with that, but it it definitely is like uh it's like a it's weird a, it's dangerous freedom. That's what it is. It's dangerous freedom. I would say that the the actual chance of a discharge is like astronomically low uh right we would like every firearm is drop tested when it's like designed i watched some of the drop testing that happened at ruger and you could say it's pretty intense and pretty like not not a good time for the gun right those <laughs> guns obviously didn't get sold to market because yeah. they were thrown around really hard so i personally don't really worry about uh discharge unless i know i'm using like crappy ammunition something that might like cook off especially because i live in a hot climate and i might be wearing like black clothing or something but again that's so so low like if my personal concealed carry is a usp and it has a decocker on it so i keep one in the chamber but it's decocked so you have to have the double action on the trigger pull and yeah. so that keeps the firing pin in a state where the gun's literally never going to discharge on accident. Yeah. But I bought the gun intentionally for concealed carry with this exact thought in mind. So yeah, when it came, yeah. When it came to the 1911, it was just safety on and then hammer pulled because it had the manual pull safety that blocked the slide. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. 
Gotcha. Yeah. Well, that's I was like, that's sounds definitely... like I need a new gun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, man, USPs go for a thousand a pop, so be careful. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, I literally just bought this uh, this new one, as we know. So, <laughs> yeah. we're not we're not uh we're not going to buy anything new any anytime soon. Well, Tudor, uh, speak. Okay, so that's the that's the P10C, right? Yeah. Yeah. You should um like uh, you should give us your initial thoughts. You've had that for what like uh, like forty eight hours, right? Two days, a couple days. Nah, two or three days. I mean, it's very similar to the P10F, which I mean, Seth knows. I think I showed him like right after I bought it. P10F, um, very similar. I'm actually surprised. I thought the the compact version would be a lot smaller, but it's like really not that much of a difference in terms of size. Um, definitely is easier to conceal carry. It's not as obvious, but. You know, I mean, I've, I've also tried carrying the uh, the full-sized, and if you're wearing, like, a hoodie, it's not noticeable at all. Um, obviously, here in Phoenix, wearing just a T-shirt is definitely nicer to have the compact version. Definitely a lot easier to carry without printing. Um, but I, I like it. I think the, the CZs are great. I was obviously torn between the 19X, which I was drooling over in the in the previous podcasts. But uh, and I think the 19X is really cool. I mean, part of me still wants to buy a 19X um so another another nine millimeter gun which i know seth hates me for buying a bunch of nine millimeter handguns well and oh and, and and i hate you don't it's it's both of us <laughs> i think everyone just hates me I, how many nine millimeters I, I own hate you for that i i specifically advised against this purchase but that's a that's a subject for a different discussion <laughs> yeah you know what happened i was at sportsman's and i'm like jonah shut up i already made up my mind <laughs> like texture didn't even ask me so I, 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 I knew what the answer was going to be. Your answer was going to be like, did you think about it for 30 days? And I'm like, nope, <laughs> this is a spontaneous decision. So, you know, yeah. I, it's sometimes, I, how does the saying go? Sometimes it's better to ask for forgiveness than permission. Um, Amen. Amen. In this, in this case, you're just going to be asking your bank account for forgiveness. Yeah, that's true. Oh, well. So. It's okay. I like it. I mean, if anything, the way I saw it, it was also like, um, in this case, like I'm, I'm training twice because I, I the P10F I kind of view as more like a home defense type gun or like a gun that's more of like a, for lack of better words, like a a war gun. I, I don't know. There's a different term that I'd used for it before, but like I don't know, like like more of like a loadout, like something you would really use in like a specific scenario. Like this is a gun that you'd prefer to have on you if you could have it on you at all times. Um, but in this case, at least like with the P10C, I'm still training with the same type of frame, same type of trigger all that same stuff. So when I go to the bigger gun or vice versa, it's still the same uh, mechanics, still the same instinct, still the same feel. I'm not really chaining anything different or anything new. So it was also just kind of a matter of same stuff, just slightly different in terms of like, this is a slightly bigger because it's one inch here, one inch there. Yeah. Um, Seth, I, I wanted to ask you, uh, cause you know, you brought up carrying and, that made me wonder about uh, how does that work with like being on base and and I, are you are you currently staying <laughs> on base or are you are you off base like how does that whole thing work? Well, I've uh, I've done both, so uh, I'm currently off base. In my previous station, I was on base, and on base firearms are uh, very heavily restricted because to get on a base, you have to pass through a gate guard who is carrying, and there's military police everywhere, so. It makes sense. It's a pretty robust, safe system. It's probably one of the safest places you can be is on a military base. So uh, to get onto a base, you have to check in the firearm. You have to call them in advance and say, hey, I'm going to be transporting guns on. If it's a private residence on base, you're able to keep them in your residence. Um, oh, really? 
in, yeah, in compliance with the state law, but in like military housing, you have to turn them into the base armory. So I had to turn uh, one of my pistols into the armory because it's the only thing I brought with me when I was stationed in Texas. Uh, off base, you're off base, doesn't matter. You just, same rules apply. If you have to go on base, you have to declare like, hey, I'm you know, transitioning this firearm and call them in advance. Uh, you are subject to random searches and... I definitely have had a random search where I had a disassembled paintball gun in the back of the car. And I was like, this is a little oh. sketchy right now. Oh, yeah. yeah. It, that, <laughs> that was that was thankfully no problem, but uh, it's something to keep in mind. But yeah, it, it's, it's pretty strict because obviously there's a lot of concerns with uh, terrorist activity and stuff where legitimate targets for that kind of activity. So like they just try to keep a little bit tighter of a leash on it. Yeah. Um... You know, and that kind of leads me to think, and and I know I'm kind of, I know we're kind of like jumping all over the place here, but uh, I I think it's good. I mean, I you know, your perspective is really is really honed, and and you, it seems like you have a lot of experience behind it. Um, I guess like like this talk, like we're talking about carrying and like you know, like military bases and like really like like essentially for lack of a better word, like making sure your shit's straight. Um, you know, it kind of brings up this concept in my mind of like, like self accountability, self responsibility, and um, like stream ownership. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. Like, like, um, you know, and the and the whole concept of carrying being essentially like, you know, you are responsible not only for your own life, but potentially in that moment, responsible for the unfolding scene around you. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you have like commentary, if either of you guys have like a commentary on that tutor, I know, I know has probably plenty to say on that as well. I just want to hear Seth, honestly. I mean, cause I, it's been a minute since we've talked about like concealed carry and all of that. I feel like we haven't, it's mainly me just drooling over his divorce. So, you know, that, that's primarily <laughs> what we talk about. Um, yeah. The responsibility. I mean, I have a pretty unique perspective on this, I'd say, because it's something that's been drilled into me since day one, especially as an officer, is that you have the responsibility for others. Uh, I will actively like command an aircraft where there are people on board who I have to take care of them. And I'm like the final decision about like, are we going into fire? Are we going to do X, Y, Z? So uh, when it comes to like the idea of concealed carrying, like I remember I had a commander who sat a bunch of us down in a room because you know talking about uh, school shootings at one point and he said you know i expect all of you to run towards the gunfire and so that's kind of the mentality that i take into it and that goes into like physical preparation and like mind and soul as much as it is like being able to shoot a firearm because oftentimes um disarming gun gunmen like you might not even be able to reach your firearm in time i think the statistics like within 40 feet if they charge you, you won't be able to get a round off. If you're concealed carrying, it'd be faster wow. to just like draw a knife um, or just punch them. So wow, just, yeah, being able to uh, know like your situation, read your surroundings, it's important. Uh, I don't typically go about on the day-to-day like thinking about actively like, I'm going to be a hero and like save everybody. <laughs> but it's just something that like it's been home <laughs> I've thought about in the past, you know? Yeah. Well, you bring that up. Uh, I I know that I know that Tudor and I sometimes like this is, this is uh, definitely I'm probably at not you, like Jonah. I'm laughing at you. <laughs> you're laughing at me. Well, I, I'm laughing at both of us because uh, I know oh, okay. I know that you know you're not definitely not supposed to have that mentality of like oh man like like I want to be a hero you know like you know I think that's maybe just like kind of more like my naive perspective on it of of 
you know, see, okay, like seeing, for instance, this guy in uh, in Indiana. What, what was his last name again, Tudor? Like it was. Uh, uh, it was Elijah Dickens, I think. Uh, Elijah right. Dickens. Um, it was it Dickens Dickens with an S. Yeah, I don't. I don't it, it's it's something like that, but that, that was his name, and it was what forty yard shot. Um, what, eight out of like, ten rounds. Yeah, eight out of ten rounds under like fifteen seconds, something like that. Very impressive. Very impressive. Yeah, it just it 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 really brings to mind this this concept of of like heroism essentially um and, and we only have we only have a few more minutes but i i would say like you know if you guys if you guys are comfortable with it maybe we could spend the last few minutes talking really about heroism and and you seth you know you specifically you just mentioned like this instructor and him essentially like instilling in you the value of of you know if there was a shooting adverse i'd expect for you to respond to fire um mm-hmm that's that you know that's kind of like the ultimate sacrifice really and just um what do I, like it definitely it it I mean, definitely to me, oh sorry go for it no 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 go ahead go ahead i was gonna say like i mean with that in mind with what you were saying said where it's like it almost be faster just to attack them it almost kind of with that knowledge with that with that insight it's almost like it makes more sense to have a bullet in the chamber like going back to the original question because it's like when seconds really count it's like like an additional second of having to rack your slide and all that stuff it may just be faster to just pull it up and shoot you know and just start mm-hmm. unloading as compared to like oh shit now i gotta rack the slide i gotta you know all these different things so i think with that because i i was really thinking about the the indiana shooting which you brought up jonah where it's like how often is it that you're really going to be that far away, like 40 yards? Like, it's impressive that he was able to take that guy down. But to me, I feel like for most scenarios, you're probably going to be a lot closer, which is unfortunate because that means you have a lot less time to react. You have a lot less um, ability to, you know, make a precise shot and, and really assess the situation. Um, so that that's something that I've been thinking a lot about, especially when I've been taking my pistol out to train. It's like, you know, I'm not saying don't train at distance. I think it's important to be able to take those long shots. But I think it's also important to be able to take fast, accurate shots as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would say, adding to that, when was the last time where you went shooting where you had to make a split-second decision, right? Whether or not to shoot a target. Like the the whole concept of the SAS with their kill houses, where they go room to room and they use live people who are unarmed civilians. And they have to breach a room with a completely different layout they've never seen before and then shoot all the bad guys. So wow. people don't people don't typically train for the decision making process. And the only reason I'm talking about it is it's something that as at least as an aviator, we have to train for all the time because split seconds mean life or death oftentimes. Mm-hmm. So like I mentioned with concealed carrying earlier, not having one in the chamber, that's just if you think you're going to be in a situation where you see it developing around you slowly, right? Like big crowd, lots of people, I have time. But most of the time, you don't. So that's just something you have to factor in, you know? Well, and that's something that I would think about. It's like, I feel like a lot of the time, it's it's things that you almost would never expect for it to come out of left field, right? And that, that's where I'm very much so, like, I try to carry a lot more often with one in the chamber just because it's like, you never know. I mean, I do feel very comfortable when I go out and I don't usually carry one in the chamber, at least in the past. But now that I've been thinking more and more, it's like, you never know. Anything could happen. The world's become crazier and crazier. You're starting to see things that, you know, people would say, I never thought this would happen in my hometown or whatever. So just just with those things in mind, I, I understand what you're saying. It's like, you know, um, prepare accordingly, kind of, you know, but I think it's almost like prepare for the worst, hope for the best. Mm-hmm. 
yeah, I'll, uh, I always love injecting that the aviation mindset into stuff, but if you're going into something without the groundwork and the preparation, like, why are you even going? Right. True. And oftentimes real life doesn't call for that level of like detail and planning. It's very hard to be spontaneous, uh, in the flying world. So getting in your car with your friends, right. Sometimes you might even forget to pack your gun and that's when you find yourself in the wrong situation. So that's just something that you have to challenge yourself to think about not something that necessarily you should dwell on because I feel like worrying about this stuff in the first place, we we're talking about being happy earlier, just <laughs> another thing to like stress you out and suck you in. Right. Yeah. No, there's, there's a great phrase. Like worrying is like a rocking chair. It gives you something to do, but ultimately it gets you nowhere. Yeah. That is a great <laughs> phrase. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> Where'd you hear that? Uh, I was in a movie. I think it was like Van Wilder or something, something, National Lampoons. I don't know. It was, it was I just remember hearing it. I'm like, that's brilliant. But this was like, I was in college and I was like, dude, I'm so stressed. And I saw this movie and I'm like, ah, I'm, I'm going to use that <laughs> because that's great. No, that's awesome. No, I, uh, I'm definitely going to use that, man. I often feel like I'm just rocking back and forth day to day in my life with needless worry. Um, but, uh, well, um, Seth, I was going to ask, you know, basically, I, I guess before we, we cut this off, do you have any, uh, any like final, final advice? I mean, you said basically at the beginning that, you know, right now you're in like the eye of the storm uh, of just yeah. of, of things being nutty. And, and I wonder if maybe there's like clarity there when, when everything's still for a second, if, uh, you know, if you have any advice on like goal achievement, on, on progression, on, um on grit any any, any oh, dude, parting I, words I was you really, give us i was really hoping to talk about prepping too but well, is well what it is. we're i mean I, we're gonna have to we're gonna have to have several more conversations i think uh all right round two right after this let's go boys <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, like, i need I, sleep no I'll, I'll happily talk about grit though um i'd say grit is probably the single most important factor in like self-success being mm -hmm. able to endure stuff that sucks all with the idea that in three to five years you're going to be in a position that you know you're happy about right like i think one of the really powerful questions i heard is if you could talk to your high school senior self and show them exactly what your life is right now would they be happy about that and that's something that you have to think like well my high school self if you just bounce the timeline yourself in three to five years, are you happy? Did you set yourself up for success? So it takes some grit to be able to have the humility to see that and see, hey, I might not have been as successful. I might not have done what I wanted to do. And I still like constantly have to remind myself like, yeah, I'm in the eye of the storm right now. I'm at this point where I'm in the mid phase and the last push means that I get wings on my chest and I've achieved basically my childhood dream. But what comes after that? Yeah. right what comes after that i can take oh. a moment and celebrate but yeah. where do i where do i need to be in three to five years so i wore my nasa shirt today as a reminder to myself like hey i studied astronautics because i want to work in space i want to be an astronaut so now it's like how do i focus on that once i get my wings and the answer is i need a master's i need to do this it's just perspective right so you have to enjoy the moments that you're in and definitely take it on the day-to-day -day. take that alligator that's closest to you but never forget that alligator is still out there the big final boss right that albino 
<laughs> Bowser you just gotta fight him. Yeah, exactly. Back, it, takes Peach. it takes a lot of grit to be able to do that because sometimes, like literally, I grit my teeth, like get myself out of bed, and it's like, okay, here we go. Like I don't want to, but once this day's done, then it's on to the next one. Yeah, what's well, the uh, what's the phrase in the military? Em- embrace the suck, right? Like, yeah, the... embrace the suck. It definitely helps when you have people who are with you who are going through it together, uh, other people to lean on. I definitely say like you can't do it alone. Most of life's problems and journeys require other people to help you out because we're social creatures. And if you're doing it alone, you're just making it harder on yourself. So don't do it alone, for sure. Yeah, work work smarter, not harder, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, always, uh, Tudor, I think you said, uh, ask for forgiveness, not permission, right? I, uh, I like Jonah, to embody, I oh, Jonah, you said that? Yeah, sorry, Jonah. Yeah. No, I like I to embody that. Like, mm-hmm. just sometimes you just have to send it, right? Yeah, um, <laughs> full send. Yeah, uh, the Huey, you're not supposed to fly it, like, aggressively, but I've definitely had it spanked 90 degrees before. Sometimes you just... You have to ask for forgiveness, not permission. Just depends on what the situation calls for, you know. Well, well, that's awesome. I, uh, Seth, it's been a great conversation. I hope we can have you on again soon. Hell yeah, no, I'd absolutely be willing. It just all depending on the time. It's about to shrivel up and probably die here pretty soon, as I've been talking about. <laughs> starting to get back to the grind, but yeah, um, if I manage to sneak away, yeah, I'm happy to coordinate it. Hell yeah, awesome. Well. Regardless, uh, I think that was a great podcast, guys. Uh, thanks to both of you, and uh, we'll look forward to the next one. Yeah, next time we got to talk about prepping. Uh, there's a lot that we, we could have yeah. done. I literally have a list right here. <laughs> like, oh, well, for next time, for next time. Yeah. For next time. Right on. No, that was All awesome. Right. Thanks, thanks for joining us, Seth. We really appreciate it. It's awesome talking to you again. And uh, yeah, I'll probably catch you on the battlefield. <laughs> battlefield four. <laughs> Go catch me on the battlefield. <laughs> Amen. Awesome, dude. Well, thanks for uh, thanks for joining, bro. No problem.